Welcome back to Cut the Fru-Fru. Today is a very special episode. It's episode six, and I have a guest. Dun-da-da. My guest you might know as Mach or Machome. You might know her alternatively as Maggie. But either way, if you know her, you know she's wonderful. She's currently residing in the D.C. area, and we met at Kripalu pushing 10 years ago which is crazy. I wanted to have her on for a couple reasons. I want to set up the episode by giving you those reasons. We met when we were in our early 20s, and that's such a defining stage of life. And we met at Kripalu, which is a place we went to to basically endeavor inward. And as a young person, that's a pretty... um, getting more and more popular now, but a little bit odd. Everybody else I knew at the time was fully immersed in alcohol and external sources of partying. (laughs) So we met there, and it was a very defining time for both of us. And then we left, and life continued to happen. And then we reconnected about a year ago through social media and some posting and sharing and commenting around some things regarding autoimmune conditions because we both have personal experiences with that. So that then turned into doing breath work with her for, I think it was supposed to be six weeks or I think six weeks, six six sessions and ended up going for 10 weeks, 10 sessions plus a check-in in between. And it was really wonderful. It was so much fun because we knew each other. So there was this trust or language that we kind of picked up where we had left off. But there was also this freshness and ultimately not knowing anything about the other one because we had both changed so much. And it had been not just a semi-long time, but it had been the period of life going from early 20s into our 30s, which I think is a pretty monumental period of shifting and really changing. So that's one of the reasons I wanted wanted to have her on because I wanted to have a kind of follow-up session with her that was more of just a conversation to reflect upon her life experience of being seeking growth and doing inner work and then having the camaraderie of having worked together and knowing each other in the way that we do. And then, so yeah, so I I wanted to kind of give the listener a look inside of that follow-up conversation and, and kind of do an interview to get under the hood of kind of going back to the beginning, where she came from, how things started for her, what exactly she got out of our time together doing breath work and how that's all been integrated and what, where is she now? What is she doing now? And what has she really taken from it all? So there's that. And the other piece, the other reason I wanted to have her on is because most of the time with podcasts, And since starting this, it's like, okay, if I have a guest on, they need to be somebody that's interesting. 
and most podcasts have people on that, yes, they're interesting, but they're also kind of a borderline celebrity or someone that has some type of credibility of knowing something that people then are interested in, especially in the world of health and wellness or anything like that. So in keeping true to my intention behind this podcast, I don't want to have some celebrity on or some doctor on because if someone wants to hear about them, talk about what they know about, there's a million versions of them having the same conversation with other doctors who have podcasts and all of that. And if you want to just ask me about it, I've listened to them all multiple times, so I can just tell you myself. But anyways, so I wanted to have her on too because she's a normal person who works a nine-to-five job and on the outside is not doing anything except waking up and, you know, being a normal person. So because of that, I really wanted to bring that quality in and talk about what's happening on the inside. And if you listened to episode five, I think I've kind of mentioned this in all of the episodes I've done so far, but especially in episode five, talking about that, how on the outside we can be living a very mundane, seemingly mundane existence where at first maybe we struggle with boredom or the fear of not ever amounting to something that's special or worthwhile in our minds. But the reality is on the inside, we're always in this relationship with this magical unfurling of our life's purpose and how to live the, how to walk the walk in terms of remaining connected to that which is inspiring and fulfilling because the inner life, when it does become connected, is, I don't think is, um, you can't shake a stick at it relative to the type of outward lack of gratification that comes from doing all of the things that we as a society tend to think are um, more virtuous or admirable because they're in the press or limelight of being somebody that amounted to something. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And yeah, here it is, jumping right into it. Thanks for doing this with me, Mark. Um, Would you just share a little bit about yourself and how your experience of life has led you to this place of seeking out various forms of healing and self-cultivation? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I, my family and I moved here when I was eight months old. Um, My background, so my parents and my sisters were all born in Iran. Um, They moved to Germany uh, shortly after the revolution in Iran. And four years later, I was born. Um, and then we all moved to the U S so, um, I was born outside of the U S raised here by, um, first generation parents. And, um, 
I share that to start because so much of my life was influenced by my family assimilating to the culture here. Um, I grew up in Maryland and, um, my self-work kind of started or my awareness of, of diving into self-work started, um, in my early twenties when I had started having epiphanies, um, around having lived, uh, and then, you know, all my life up until that point without any real or true expression of my emotions. Um, there were lots of different parts of myself that I had hidden away from myself and the world. And so that's kind of where I, my, my, um, conscious development of myself began or spawned. So that was beginning in your early twenties, did you say? Yeah. My early twenties, um, around, uh, graduating high school, I, I started, I, I remember feeling uncomfortable and I did not know why. And it was something that was happening inside of me. Um, it was very, very like internal, um, had little to do with my relationships and, um, and, the, and I had lots of experiences leading up to like my early twenties that showed me how disconnected I was with what was happening inside. So yeah, like early twenties, um, is when I started to take more action towards understanding, um, understanding my experience to the fullest. Mm -hmm. What, this is not on my list of questions, but if, if there is one internal struggle or the feeling inside of you, if you could speak directly to that thing that led to the epiphanies, like what was that? Mm -hmm. um, so it got to the point where I, I couldn't connect with the world outside of me because I felt so disconnected inside. And there were like, to give you specific examples, I was in my face-to-face -face interaction with others, I would, I, I knew, you know, in those moments, I knew I was not, I was not connecting with this person. And it almost felt, um, like I was being fraudulent in some ways. And there were obviously lots of emotions attached to that, that were all created by what I thought my experience should be. So like, in those, in those moments where I felt disconnected from another person, it be it like a, a friend, a family or a complete, complete stranger. And then experiencing that like subsequent thought of like, I'm being a fraud. All of that was attached to like guilt and oh, I need to punish myself. And, and so it just felt so overwhelming emotionally and it, and it affected my mood and I started to have panic attacks. So I was very deeply disconnected to what was happening inside and I could not understand what I needed, what I needed to give myself to feel connected. At that point, I really didn't even know that 
I, I wasn't consciously having any thoughts that I was disconnected. Like, oh, I, you know, I'm not in touch with my breath or I am not in touch with what I really truly feel and mean in this moment. Like that, that conscious, those, those thoughts were not happening. So yeah, though, that interacting with other people was a huge trigger for me. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a disassociation kind of symptom from this disconnection from your own inner self that maybe was connected to a disconnect from your heritage or the, you know, the the whole thing being Mm -hmm. transplanted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'll kind of stick with the, the questions I have lined up because could obviously take all of these opportunities to go down all of these (laughs) rabbit holes. Right. Stay on track. So to kind of keep it simple in a way, what's the, what's been the most helpful thing, be it a modality or a philosophy or a way of thinking, framing things of everything that you've endeavored through beginning in your early twenties what's the like even if it's almost silly or so Mm -hmm. simple it doesn't seem like a good answer like the most helpful yeah and that's such a good question because it it is it is so basic for me at this point I I think what's been the most beneficial is movement, getting into my body physically on a daily basis, meditation. And meditation can mean so many different things. I remember first learning about it or hearing about it. It just, I I, I just judged it as this like, this big, big thing, this space that you go into or like this space that is difficult to access. Or I judged people that meditated as these very evolved beings. And it was just this like very, very big and exciting thing. And what I, what, what it means to me now is, is like just this very basic act of reconnecting with my breath. And, um, and it's so simple and yet, has helped me to, to find peace and ease in such a quick and easy way. So just movement connected or, um, paired with meditation Mm -hmm. has been really helpful. And I'll get into this, I think eventually during this conversation a bit more, but self-love consciously making a choice to focus on what it means to be in love with your truest self and affirming that on a daily basis has been really beneficial. Yeah. So movement meditation and loving awareness is what I wrote down as being the most helpful things. And that's, I think the, the intro crash course Mm -hmm. or the, Mm -hmm. the three things. All right. Well, what's the, to turn that around, what's the biggest scam turned out to be out of all (laughs) the things that, (laughs) that you've experienced? That's such a difficult question for me to answer because I want to say nothing has been a scam that 
even things that didn't really work led me to (laughs) figure out what does work. Mm -hmm. But I remember in my early 20s just feeling like by being, by putting myself in this place, in this space of feeling at peace or like just by simply relaxing my body, I was achieving something big and that, and, and I would kind of, I was very quick to assume like, Oh, I've, I've figured it out. Like I've, I've found it and that didn't work. And that, I mean, it took me a while to really get that, to understand like this, I need to go a little deeper than this. This isn't the work. I don't know if I'd call that like a scam, but for anyone who hasn't really tapped into self-development and self-work or for anyone who hears this and is, is kind of like wondering how to connect with a, a deeper world within them, I would say that it is like so much deeper than just feeling good and feeling pleasure. That is a big part of it. That is a piece of it, but it's so much more than that. And so it, it took me some time and experiences to understand that. The reason I put that there is because, and maybe it's, coming directly from my own cynicism or (laughs) bitterness. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, this podcast and I think the people that will relate to this conversation, you know, are people that are endeavoring, that's been my new word, endeavoring to create a better experience. And that in and of itself is a trap because, like you said, like it's not just about feeling pleasure or feeling good. It's more complicated than that. So if we're we're typically promised, though, if you do this, you'll feel this way. And that in and of itself, I find to be a borderline scam statement because the reality is, is if you really want to grow and change, there's a level of like you're saying, you know, it being much more complicated than just pursuing that good feeling yet meditation or, you know, I think especially yoga and a lot of things that have become caricatures of the health and wellness world are almost unanimously made fun of in so many circles because it is so frilly and all of these promises that of course, you know, in one hand are true because it is offering a path to that but it's also a misperception and kind of a scam to think that you can just sell like a hot body through whatever it is that the that the marketing team has decided mm-hmm. to try to push on the person who's suffering <laughs> you know as as being like this is the way yeah definitely and just to comment on that a little more, I think we also live in a society where like instant gratification is valued and sought after. So it just makes sense initially to assume like if something works right now, it's going to work for everything from here on out. 
and, and I, in, in a lot of ways, that's a huge detriment because you, you, if, if you don't have the awareness that isn't the case, that that might not be the case, it can, it can lead you, or at least it led me to feeling very disappointed when it didn't work anymore. Yeah. Well, that's the perfect segue. So my next question is what did breath work give you? But because of what you just said, maybe you could speak to a little bit about the the work part of breath work and the, you know, what you previously just spoke to, the mm-hmm. feeling good, but also it being a little bit more sobering or realistic. What was your experience of that, doing that? And then also what did you, what did, what did that I guess, more intensive process than give you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it did that. It did um, what we just described. I felt good physically, um, emotionally, after breath work, I felt at peace. And it also, <laughs> I remember after the first session, I remember remembering my experience during breath work and having a moment where I I felt like my back was up against the wall. My truth was in my face and there, I couldn't turn around. I couldn't avoid it. I couldn't avoid addressing these things about life and me that I maybe once had done well. So yeah, it, it, I mean, so it, just to share a little background, Daniel and I did I think 10 sessions, so 10 weeks of breath work once a week attached with follow-up check-in. And throughout each week, I learned something different. I experienced something that I hadn't understood prior to the session. And that was last year. So now we're however many months, I'd say like 11 months past those sessions. And what what I, how it's impacting me today is just having that memory of being, having my back up against the wall and facing my truth that no matter what feels good or no matter what epiphany that I reach that may feel like I have made progress and and it's all progress, but no matter what positive experience I have, I, I can't avoid things that I may have been afraid to face in the past. The breath work gave me a glimpse into my subconscious mind in a way that was hard to forget. <laughs> and it sounds so it sounds it sounds like very <clears throat> like simple like well like why why would you forget it but it it was just it was very impactful. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's impacted me in a lot of ways. Well, this is great because I'm taking notes and, like, I feel like I'm in a a seminar of <laughs> hearing things in new ways and piecing things together and seeing if I can track the connection I just made. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when you were answering the previous question about the scam, what the biggest scam had turned out to be, and you said that kind of alluding to the process of doing practices or moving towards 
the gratification of, you know, feeling better or feeling more at peace wasn't, it was more complicated than that being the way. And so one of the questions that came to me was interested in hearing from you, like, what would you say the way is then if it, you know, if you, if you knew that that wasn't the way or if it was the way wasn't that simple. And I'm, am I remembering what you said correctly? Is this Mm -hmm. tracks? Yeah. 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 So, so then I thought was like, well, I want to know from you what the way is from Mm -hmm. your experience. And so what you just answered what I'm hearing, and I'll reflect back to you, is that breath work gave you a more or a starkly honest look into yourself via showing you your unconscious and showing you your relationship with your unconscious, which is not something that you can see through just sitting down to meditate because it's your unconscious. And there's a, there's, there's a finagling (laughs) or Mm -hmm. it's more, you know, to, to, to illuminate the unconscious or to shine light on that. So you said that breath work showed you your unconscious and it was like being backed up against a wall looking at the truth. And so now what I'm hearing you say, and this is essentially answering the question that I didn't ask, which was what is the way I hear you saying that the way is to obviously move towards things that feel good and, you know, not just deprive yourself of life, but knowing that no matter what happens, the actual way forward is to be in relationship with and willing to confront the parts of your unconscious that are manifesting in your life that you don't necessarily know how to take responsibility for because you can't see that they're actually being generated by you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, yeah, that's very, very well put and well reflected. And I'll also emphasize that piece of like, it still is so important to experience life because without experiencing life, these things can't really be reflected. It's a process of fine for, for me. Like I am not a monk. I have a nine to five job. I have relationships and family and, and just lots of things that happen outside of me that I experience on a daily basis that, that influence, you know, what's happening inside. But what it comes back to for me is in, in order to feel that, that sense of like satisfaction, peace and goodness, I, I need to connect with my truth, connect, come back to um, this present moment and what feels real and yep, yeah, breath work highlighted that in a very unique way. Like I said, that, that just stuck, made it hard to forget. So the, my questions that I have, like I said earlier, are like multidimensional. But so at the end of this question of what did breath work give you, show you about yourself? I also wrote, how has it impacted your ability to benefit from everything else you've done since doing breath work? So what I'm hearing you say there and to highlight too is it's it's the relationship with your life that then actually has the biggest opportunities for growth as opposed to renouncing the world or renouncing worldly endeavors 
as if you could just do your work, but realizing that it's actually in the relationship to your life that's the biggest opportunity mm. to grow as an individual. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe my next question to weave this where we are right now into the next question, because I know you had been seeing a therapist and then we started doing breath work consistently. And I think you took a break from the therapist, but then I know since the breath work you've gone and, you know, gotten more acupuncture done and done some other things, worked with other people. Could you maybe speak a little bit about how, carrying through with what you just spoke to about how breathwork has benefited you. How has breathwork helped you in your relationship within these other practices, if at all, is has there been um, a progression of sorts? The thing I'm wanting to highlight and wanting to hear from you is kind of how universal the way is or how accessible the path is because you don't have to have a modality or even a practice Mm -hmm. other than just knowing that your own resistance to unearthing your unconscious is to lean into that is the way forward. Yeah. So for me, I mean, it feels like breath work showed up in my life exactly when I needed it. And I don't have an answer as to whether or not these other modalities and other practices that I've taken on since breath work would have worked or would have influenced me or, you know, like I I imagine that, yeah, like I, I most likely wouldn't have had the same experiences if breath work didn't come first. I don't know what the, and, and, I don't, I don't think this was your exact question, but I don't know what is the right answer in terms of like sequencing, like should breath work come first? Should it be the first place that you go to? For me, I was in, I I was doing talk therapy and not really getting anywhere and, and breath work just, like I said, it just kind of showed up and I, was really, really hungry and thirsty and dove right in. Though I will also say in my early twenties, I had the opportunity while we were at Kripalu to experience a lot of these things. And, and, and I did, I did experiment and I tried lots of different methods and practices to guide me to my truest self, my higher self to release pains from past traumas. And looking back the way I would describe my experience then is that I, I was, I was not, I didn't, I was lacking a level of maturity or groundedness. I was like very explorative and, and excited. And though I was, I was really diving deep and was yearning healing. There was a big piece that was still missing that, you know, I, I still seek today, but so this, this time around, I'll describe it as this time around with breath work, I was really, really, really in it. So for me, yeah, it was placed at a perfect time and it felt very, very organic. And since then, so yeah, I think I mentioned I, I, I'm not really doing talk therapy. I think that it's, it is a great resource though. And I, st- I, I still definitely recommend it for anyone that 
is seeking just some support, some backup. It's great to have as a, as a weekly practice, if that's something that like works for you to express what's happening for you verbally. But I've, I've also started doing some different things like hypnotherapy, acupuncture, a lot of work around my higher self and and connecting with the deeper part of me with support from another person to, to help manifest my, um, my dreams, my creative aspirations and, and that sort of thing. Hypnotherapy has been really great in uncovering what's happening in my subconscious mind, similarly to breath work. The biggest difference I would say, and I'm, I'm kind of just thinking this through right now, mm-hmm. the biggest difference would be that with breath work, I had like a, a physical emotional release, even if I didn't cry or even if I didn't, like, I couldn't put into words, like what just happened. There was a release that I experienced, like an energetic release of something leaving or something or having like a, an, a really big aha moment. And uh, with hypnotherapy, it, it's kind of felt more focused on a specific experience. And I, and I compare the two because I feel like I've gone the deepest into my subconscious in hypnotherapy um, when comparing all the other things that I've tried to breath work. So, so yeah, bre- that, that release of something I, I haven't really experienced in, in these other practices. And acupuncture has been really healing in a holistic way. And I, I'm still trying to understand how it's working. It is working, <laughs> yeah. but I'm still very much in it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, so the hypnotherapy sounds like very similar in terms of addressing this, the unconscious, the thing it's not, the, with breath work, there's a level of it doing that, but it also being very somatic. And the hypnotherapy is a little bit more, not not cerebral, not at all in a negative way, but you're not getting, there, there's not as much, it's not combined with the the same kind of physical releases or, things exactly yeah which yeah. makes perfect sense i've not done hypno actually i kind of have it but yeah not as not as much yeah 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 with breath work like the energy definitely takes the wheel yeah yeah that's pretty whereas yeah with with hypnotherapy i mean my experience has been that my my mind my mental like hasn't necessarily been active I'm not actively thinking about what's what I'm you know whatever it is that we're uncovering or focusing on but I'm also not as like I'm not I'm I don't feel as much of a passenger as I do with breath work or as I have. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess moving on, Mm -hmm. if you could, 
if you could influence change in the Western medical system slash Western society, because I think they're connected, you know, mm-hmm. what would it be? And to maybe elaborate on that on my end, I'm just thinking of this, you know, kind of goes into the context of you having various struggles of being a human. And I know part of how we reconnected to then doing breath work was you were diagnosed with autoimmune condition of thyroid. And we both connected over that because I had that as well. And going to see doctors and there being a, a way in which you're, especially with autoimmune conditions and things like that, you're prone or highly likely to be told you're crazy and that the Mm -hmm. symptoms aren't real before the doctor actually just says, I actually don't know. (laughs) And that being something that I think a lot of people listening, I mean, just the number of people I've come into contact with that have had that exact same experience. So that's kind of where that question's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I have like a list of things that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that I wish society and the medical system were less relying on. Yeah. Well, I guess <sighs> to to phrase it another way, maybe to cut the fruit for you to cut the frou-frou off of you say you have a list. What do you feel like is the, is the root thing like to that and all of the other things, if, if you were to gander. (laughs) Right. I mean, yeah, it's such a big, big topic. Like this could probably have, you could devote like an entire series to this obviously, but like, yeah, if I were to cut the frou-frou, I mean, there's I, I, I think that there's such a big disconnect in providers, in the connection or the relationship between provider and patient. And I think that has to do so much with the pressure and the workload that providers are facing and also what is accept- acceptable for the patient to consume on a daily basis, like what, like food and just like all all the things that they take in social media. Like, so I I say all that because I have so much compassion for both, both parts. Yeah. But all, all of those things influence like a disconnect between patient and provider. Like ideally I would love for like you, you know, it to be a standard practice for when you enter a doctor's appointment, your doctor to sit with you and say, let's just take a moment and, and like land here, like, let's get here. And, and it really just takes one minute, but there's a lot, lack of education and a lack of practice and a lack of awareness around those benefits as a whole in our society. It is considered like so frou-frou to like tap in and just be here and I, I mean, I've got, I, I, like, I don't think it has anything to do with, or it does, it has a lot to do with spirituality and connecting with source, but it also doesn't have to, I mean, it, it really is just like a very simple practice to like, let's, yeah. let's get here together at the same time. So like, that would be awesome to do, <laughs> to just like make that connection 
I, I wish that there was less influence on like the pharmaceutical industry. Not to say that I, I uh, disagree with prescription medication as a form of healing at all. I just wish that there was less influence on pharmaceuticals as the solution to, to anything and everything. And like, you know, while we're on the topic, I really, and, and I engage in social media. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on most social media platforms, but I, I just think that it's, it's shaped, it, it's reframing the way that we interact with each other as a society. And my, my gut is just feels like, you know, it's not the direction. If, if you use it, if you use it in a way that or like if you're, I don't know how to put this into words. If you're asleep while you're using it, I'll just say that. Like, yeah, well, um, it, it can really be a detriment. Yeah. Would you say it it perpetuates the problem, whatever it is? But I to go back to what you said about it's like if doctors came out and sat down with the patient and just took a moment, then kind of going back to things that we've addressed previously getting us till now is kind of like if the thing that's disconnected in the medical system is the same way and I'm making this up right now based off of what you've said but you saying in your early 20s there being this disconnection with the outside inability to be in relationship to show mm-hmm. up that was kind of stemming from this disconnection or the fragmented relationship or identity crisis you were having on the inside. That's kind of at the core of it all is we're all disconnected from ourselves. We're all disconnected from who we are in such a fundamental way that then we don't know how to be in relationship with someone because we don't have ourself to to be in relationship with someone we're and so social media then is it can be a beautiful tool but it's not a tool just like in the same way that like prescription medication can be a beautiful tool or can have be useful but nothing is a tool if it's being used in the same way that we do everything that's continuing or perpetuating the disconnection that nothing can, nothing can take root if it's disconnected from source, you know, from the soil to begin with. Yeah. So that's what I hear. Yeah. You saying. Right. Right. Like prescription medication shouldn't be the end all be all. Like there is this collective like thought process or way of thinking or way of life that assumes that it ends there, that like you're on medicine, you're taking medicine on a daily, but you're taking all the medicine that you should be taking, things should be working. And it kind of stops there. And I, I know that's not for every single person in the world, mm-hmm. but I, I, I just, from what I read and what I hear, um, what I experience I see a lot of movement away from that, like alternative forms of medicine and treatment and not even necessarily like moving away from Western 
forms of treatment to, you know, this like acceptance and newfound awareness of what Eastern society has, has been doing for years and like, not even that, but really just like understanding like they're like this, like mind opening experience of knowing that there could be other things that might work. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I see that happening and I also feel like because of like this, this deep rooted like tradition almost to rely heavily on what we, what we think should work like medicine, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, it's like a tradition. It's like, yeah. it's, it's rooted in years and years and years of families and um, communities really adopting this, this solution. I'm like air quoting this solution and not really feeling like it's acceptable to bring in an, another form or an alternative form yeah. of treatment. Well, and it, there's, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable to admit that maybe we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also mm-hmm. at the root of it of like, that's that's step one to finding an actual solution yeah and so i yeah so um the next question which i'm gonna say it because it's basically what we're already talking about but what would you prioritize in educating people about who are suffering and seeking to heal so i don't know maybe we've even already talked about that but yeah like i would prioritize affirming that you aren't alone mm-hmm. because as humans like it's been proven over and over again that like we innately have a need to belong whether you reject that thought or not like you can still be an individual and be different in your own way and be in with all of your uniqueness because we're not the same but you'll that that need to belong to something greater outside of you will always exist and so i i guess just like affirming that you aren't alone in your suffering inviting and accepting your suffering as a part of the human experience mm-hmm. like that that that's really really important to prioritize because without those things without accepting your suffering and and not and I don't mean that you should stay wallow. in your yeah like don't wallow yeah but like <laughs> you're you're not alone like it's it's a part of life to like suffer and a beautiful experience and like being human is to accept it and then have this awareness that like wow there's uh, no, there's like a background that's that that I'm not paying attention to. There's this like bigger thing, and then exploring that like that's really a really really a beautiful thing um, in life that like isn't isn't shown to you on TV, isn't shown to you, and you know at school like you're you're allowed to experience those things, and so yeah, like prioritize affirming those things when when you're you're in it. I'm I love the book radical acceptance by Tara Brock. I don't know if you've heard of it or if you've read it, but it, but she just 
puts a lot of emphasis on that, on accepting the pain and and the experiences that you don't like that you've had or that you're having. Mm -hmm. That's been really, really helpful for me. Yeah. Well, and that's what initially, especially with breath work, I find to be one of the pillars of what is so beneficial because there can be all this discomfort. And it's funny, this is coming to me right now. It's like, People don't want to sit down to meditate. I don't want to sit down to meditate for an hour. I would rather breathe and go through, you know, like a breathwork session than to just sit there and listen to my narrative go. Like, you know, so in that regard, I might should do that more <laughs> because <laughs> that's what I'm more resistant to or whatever. But I guess this is what it is. With meditation, if I just sit there and accept my experience or the suffering that comes about through, you know, what people call the monkey mind, then after the hour's up, I get up and I endured something for an hour. So I'm a little bit more like I'm extra happy to then go do the next thing because I'm so happy to not have to still be doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But there's not as much shift in terms of like somatically I don't feel like I'm lighter I don't feel like I've moved through some stage of grief or some level of energetic blockages not to say that that can't happen but I Mm -hmm. think what I'm riffing off of what you're saying is it's to accept our suffering is not obviously to wallow in it and there's a way where accepting our suffering is actually profoundly a profoundly active endeavor that holds like delight like yields the most energy like being so energized and and inspired and so i just want to say that because that's why i think breath work is so helpful because i think a lot of people that could hear what we just said or what you said about accepting suffering or Tara Brock who she's married to Sudhir, right? Jonathan. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Jonathan Faust. They're in, they're near you kind of right in DC. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're both great. And you know, a lot of, so many people have, they've touched influenced so many people's lives, mine included. That was, that was some of my favorite uh, programs at Kripalu was with Sudhir. Mm-hmm. But reading, you know, the, the cover of that book, like Radical Acceptance, a lot of people can feel really upset because it's like, you know, I, I okay, I'm, ex- I'm now accepting my suffering and nothing's happening because w- what, what, where's, this isn't working. And it's so hard because we're not taught that. And right. we think to surrender, like in a yoga class or, you know, especially, you know, when we first volunteered at Kripalu, it's like accepting what is or surrendering. And I remember when I was within the first term that I was there, I think I was really jazzed about this whole thing about surrendering, not being passive, actually, because something inside of me was like really waking up to starting to realize this is, this is not what I thought it was. (laughs) And man, is this, powerful to be learning this thing that I didn't even I would have just written off as being like dumb mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I love that it isn't 
a passive thing. You're not like, yeah, I, I, I can relate to that a lot where I thought surrendering meant like now I am like the visual I had in my mind was like, I'm laying down and not moving <laughs> or doing anything. Yeah. And it's yeah. so not that it is so such an active thing to surrender and it opens up this whole other world that like you weren't in touch with before that is so meaningful and powerful and growth and, and healing. Yeah. And just to add on to that before we move on, because this is something that I think we talked about in, when, in our breathwork sessions together, but part of the reason or part of like the science in a way, molecularly what's going on, the reason it's so liberating is because unconsciously we're putting all of this energy into resisting the thing that we're upset about and to surrender to it is not to just collapse, but it's to open ourselves up to allowing it and to keep going at the same time. So it's a retooling or a retraining, but once it's, once we get good at it or once it actually is shifted, we have all of this energy and inspiration and joy because all of the energy that we were putting into being upset and trying to avoid that part of us is now actually liberated to go towards something that's productive and not kind of a stubborn maladaptive coping strategy. And that's something that breathworks really helped me see that like, this isn't, this isn't frou-frou. This isn't woo-woo. This is actually psychologically, energetically, physically, there's actual, um, and like Joe Disp- Dr. Joe Dispenza, I, I think being one of the pioneers of with neuroscience and all of his fancy technology, doing scans of people th- throughout doing these practices and how their energy field actually completely opens up um, as a testament to how that actually works. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe we just kind of answer the next question, but what advice would you give your your 20-year-old self? Yeah, um, I would say take it slow, be curious, and learn to like yourself in order to love yourself. Like really, really get to know you. Take that time. I mean, it, what, if it happens in your life, whether you're like at any time in your life, like it, it's a huge gift. So it doesn't matter whether you're 20 or 30 or 50 or 60 or 10 years old, but like it is a true gift to to come into self-awareness and, and get on that path of self-love. And it doesn't mean like that you're in love. The act of love is so subjective. It's, it's such a thing that you have to figure out for yourself and to get there, liking yourself and understanding yourself is a huge piece of it. So I would have loved to have that, that conversation, like a one-on-one with me when I was in my early twenties. And another thing I wanted to say about resistance is like, you give yourself, give yourself a limit of what you can resist. Like be so open that like, you know, like I can resist 10 things this month (laughs) and, and, you know, understand that like 
there's so much more benefit to truly being receptive and open to what the universe has to offer you than to like push, 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 uh, away, whether it's your experience or some, some external offering Mm -hmm. that takes so much more effort. And, and like one, one big thing is also having faith and that isn't necessarily for me is not associated with like a religion or a religious practice because I know that word is associated with, with religion and it, and if it, it can be for, for yeah. you, but having faith in the universe is really powerful too, has, yeah. has been great for me. Yeah. I like to think of faith as being, which now it's like, what's the etymology of it, but kind of the op- more of like the opposite of fear or maybe even the same thing as love. Like, there's, um, and actually when we were at Kripalu, there was a volunteer that his little slogan was like, it's like, how are you doing? And he was like, man, I just, I have this unshakable feeling like everything's going to just be perfect. <laughs> and I remember just being like, what? You're weird. Like, <laughs> that's not how I feel. <laughs> or, you know, it being so, it was like, that was Ow. not what I was yeah. expecting him to say. And then I realized, huh, I'm going to. Like, that's what I, I'm, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And that was something that that summer mm-hmm. of 2012, <laughs> with the help of a lot of other interventions. Well, so in conclusion, final question and also final thoughts from you. What are you, where are you at now in terms of practices, growth, and what's the most exciting thing? Yeah, I've been really getting back into EFT tapping. Mm -hmm. That's been a really great practice for me. What I like a lot about it is that, like I mentioned before, like like it it reaffirms self-love. Like I deeply and completely love and accept myself on a daily basis. Yeah, just like, I I, I feel like I've just, I've been uncovering more layers more rapidly and learning more about myself recently than I have. And, and maybe that this has a lot to do with, with having been in quarantine and self-isolation. Some, some of it triggered by the pandemic and a lot of it just me making an active decision that I was like fully devoting myself to, to, to growing and healing. But yeah, just self-love is basic of a practice as it is, at least that's what I looked at it as like, Oh, it's just this basic thing, self-love, but it, it just has a new meaning for me each day. So yeah, like that, that's been one of my major focuses. I love the thought that your relationship with anyone else is it's, it, it starts with your relationship with you. So reaffirming that to have, for me to have successful relationships intimately or professionally or within my, whatever it is, like in order for me to feel at ease with those things, I need to be in a really, really great relationship with myself. And a lot of that starts with self-love and yeah, I don't know if that fully, fully answers your question, but that's, that's really where I'm at. That's where my focus is, is just learning, learning to love this version, this, this, this version of me. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can, having worked together and knowing each other in the ways that we do, to reflect back to what I hear you saying and then also to highlight maybe the what's underneath what you're saying is that on the surface what you what you said self-love and all of that is almost too simple it's like well that's there's a there's a to someone in passing it's like oh well that's easy I, I can do that right now or that's very passive and how is loving myself how is deciding to love myself more going to actually do anything because at the end of the day I'm still doing all the things that sabotage or whatever so mm-hmm. I could ask you like if this was a session is like okay well that's great but what are you actually doing <laughs> right but apart from that then it's like well I'm not in that position right now to ask you what you're actually doing or like to hold you accountable to doing anything and so what I know you are doing is I know you're doing a lot of things, but what's present throughout all of the things that you're doing, which is more important than what you're doing, but how you're doing it, is you're doing it from this place of constantly connecting, reconnecting, forgetting and remembering that connection to yourself internally. And from that connection with the help of the practices or the sessions, the relationships, the your mm-hmm. life that then holds you accountable because you have mm-hmm. to show up for it, then that's almost the practice that you have a process in place or you have a relationship with yourself that you've spent your life maybe consciously starting when you were 20, but really from the very beginning you've gotten yourself to the point you are now where you can be practicing something like self-love, but what you're actually practicing is so much more. It's so much, it's so simple, but it's also so complicated because you already know the process of how to actively surrender or you, you know, kind of the, the tricks or the snare equation yeah, to mm -hmm. actually, be be doing it in in relationship with with what's real as opposed to it being disconnected and just a mental declaration that doesn't actually connect to anything that's invoking change or growth yeah is that yeah yeah yes that that sounds that's feels very true for me and the piece that I'll add to that is like accepting like goes back to accepting suffering and pain and not resisting like that is a part of my process of loving myself is Mm -hmm. accepting the things that I don't like accepting my mistakes accepting my shortcomings and and embracing them as parts all the parts of me and my life that make up my experience and they are what make me unique And just bringing that to the forefront of my mind has helped me to like propel and shift and grow. It's been a a big benefit to this experience. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, so there's this other book I'm reading. Uh, it's called you are a badass. It's pretty popular, but she says something. Um, she says like, you're and I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on here. Yeah, you can cuss. I, I can mark it <laughs> as explicit. Okay. Just, just for this, this 10 seconds. For this um, episode, yeah. <laughs> but she says like your upness may not be your fault or your problem. Like what you went through in your childhood, your traumas, your, the things that you experienced that mm-hmm. sucked might not be your fault or your problem, but living in that stuffness after you've had that awareness does become your problem. And that was, again, like such a basic, might be such a basic thing for, for someone who's like in this practice always, but it, it really is like a, a great thing to reaffirm. You do have the choice to make a change and shift and discover new versions of yourself and, and, and grow. You are so permitted to do that. You, that is a gift in this life, just like a, a great key or a great thing to know for anyone who's diving into the world of self-work and healing. What you, what you just said from that book, it's, and I don't know who said this, where this comes from, but it's what I'm hearing is the same kind of message is you're not, it's not your fault that you experience trauma but it is your responsibility to heal or to do you know to grow and so that's the other thing that I hear you saying is like and I think the to give a shout out the holistic psychologist I think is Instagram handle that woman that wrote a book that's like super popular right now called how to do the work she's always posting things that are really helpful for somebody getting started because it's Mm. and it's in the same vein of like you can it's just this process of starting to essentially reparent yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like to take responsibility for the fact that underneath your anger, like as a man, underneath my anger is whatever type of fear or of a fear of abandonment or whatever it is. It's actually really vulnerable and very, you know, a, a very small child-esque type of mm-hmm. dilemma that mm-hmm. I would then seek you know, relationships or things trying to fill that or trying to keep myself safe, but it's through external things. And the only way to actually heal it is to take responsibility for this is actually my wound. And the only way to actually heal it and to integrate myself into who I actually am as a whole person is to take responsibility for it and to love it and to be my mother and my father and my lover and my guru or whatever. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A million times. Yes. To that, like reparenting yourself. I, 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 I feel that so deeply that like being your own guide, you know? Yeah. That that's, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being your own guide and a part of that too is is not renouncing guides, but actually being your own guide in a way that you are good at being guided because you're not giving your power away and getting upset when they don't do what you want them to do. Mm-hmm. Because even this podcast, it's like I can make podcasts by myself, but doing it with you is like you're guiding, you're helping guide me through 
me being in a relationship with myself while having a conversation with you in a way that if I couldn't take responsibility for my own self, I could very easily be like, well, this podcast didn't go the way I wanted it to be. And it's your fault or whatever. <laughs> sure. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but instead it's, you know, we're both in this, have this opportunity to be in radical responsibility of what we're bringing to the table. And that then is what ignites the excitement or inspiration to then flow because otherwise we're in kind of an unconscious game of cat and mouse of like, I want, I'm, I'm manipulating you into giving me affirmation around the things that I'm insecure about or Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it might be. Yeah. And I feel like there's so much more we could dive into around that specifically. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we just passed a thing an hour. So, and that's all the questions I had. So maybe we'll do another 10 rounds yeah. of breath work and then part two. That's... <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Another follow-up. Yeah. Well, any closing sentiments, statements? Just thank you for inviting me to do this. It was a great experience for me to put some of these experiences that I've been having into words and just connect with you, obviously, I love the work that you do and your dedication and devotion to your process and healing the world. So to be a part of that is awesome for me too. So thank you. Yeah. Do you want to plug yourself or you do photography in the (laughs) DC area? Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah. So I, I do freelance photography for portraits and special events you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Moon Photography. And sweet is spelled S-U-I-T-E. Put it a play on words there. Um, thanks for that. I didn't even uh, consider that. Yeah. Well, and I know it's been a while, but your name, Makome, it translates as Sweet Moon. Is that right? Yeah. That, yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. So that's where... Um, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's where i got uh that's where i came up with the name yeah yeah well it's beautiful thank you for doing what you do and yeah yeah. thank you all right this concludes episode six of cut the frou-frou thanks for listening Special thanks to Makome for being my guest, first ever guest on the show. I had a wonderful time, learned a lot, and I want to just take a moment to say thank you, Mock, specifically in regards to talking about yourself in a way that potentially is nerve-wracking and or vulnerable feeling. And to anyone out there listening, if you want to be on the show, send me a message and we can make that happen. And also, I'm curious for feedback. Was this show better than all of the other shows by virtue of the fact that I had a guest? Or are the solo episodes also entertaining, interesting, da-da-da? The reason I'm asking is because the more episodes I make, the more enjoyment I am getting from them because I'm finding uh, 
what works and what doesn't. I'm fine-tuning my own process of creation, and it would be really fun and helpful for me to just hear or to know to do a survey of what the people that listen get from the show, what they like, what is less likable, all of the things. So I'll link in the show notes to my website. You can contact me through there. You can also contact me through Instagram, which I'll link to dr.rainwater is my Instagram handle. And you can also give me feedback by sharing your favorite episode and tagging me or if we're friends on Facebook, whatever. Um, I'll probably see it anyways. And I think that's it for now. So again, thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time on Cut the Fru-Fru. Thanks. Bye.